That's good. Well, did you have a great Thanksgiving? I I hope you did. I love Thanksgiving, and I think I said that last week. Just it's it's biblical, you know. I mean, I'm sure we know our country has turned it into very commercial Black Friday. Who can be open the soonest or whatever? But there is something. Uh, I believe pleasing to God about families and friends and fellowshipping around thankfulness of what God has done in our lives. Thankful for Jesus Christ and our salvation. And so it's just a good thing. It is a good thing to gather together and give thanks. And so I, I enjoyed it. I hope you did. And now, of course, we're moving into our, our Christmas time. And you have to bear with me. I'm, I'm kind of new at the weekly preaching thing. And, um, I'm trying hard to figure out when will we stop Ephesians and or will Ephesians fit in with, with Advent and, and Christmas and I'm working on that. But I think what we're going to do is we'll be in Ephesians uh, obviously this week, probably next week because I don't think I'm going to get done with what I have here and then we'll move into a time of Advent and just celebrating joy in Christ and peace in Christ uh, where we just celebrate the miracle that we just sang, Emmanuel, God with us. That God came and laid in a manger blows my mind. And so we'll just meditate on that and teach on it and remind ourselves of the goodness of our Savior coming to carry our sin on the cross and to bring us salvation. So it really is a wonderful time if we choose to focus our eyes on Christ. Um, so anyways, let's get going with this morning. Uh, I, I have a question for you. Um, how many of you have ever been in a position where you felt that you were 100% out of place? I mean, 100%, not 99.9, not 80 point. You were out of place. And I'm not talking about just being the small minority. You know, like a Dodger fan at AT&T Park. There are other Dodger fans there who are sadly mistaken, and we, we, we were sad for them that they're Dodger fans, but we know that they're there, but they're, they're a minority, but they're really not utterly alone. They're just somewhat alone, and usually that type of personality likes it, if you know what I mean. They, they, they don't mind a little controversy. When Karen and I and my father-in-law, George, traveled to China to finalize the adoption of Katie, uh, we experienced what it really is like to be foreign, what it's like to be a stranger in another land, to be alone, to feel alienated, and what it's like to really be a true outsider. You see, Katie's province uh, was in Jiangxi. Just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever been to Jiangxi province? Two, that's right, me, three. How many of you uh, have heard of Jiangxi province? Most haven't, right? It's not exactly the western tourist spot. It's in south central China above Guangdong province. And Fujian is to the east and Hunan is to the west. Now we know about Hunan food, right? Hunan chicken, nice and spicy. Katie, uh, Katie's province is known for, uh, if it has four legs and it's not made of wood, they'll eat it. And uh, that's... Uh, that's true. They told us that, our tour guide. But when Westerners travel to China, they're usually going to Shenzhen, Guangzhou, Beijing, Shanghai, the large cities uh, that, that we know about. And they're, they're common business destinations and tourist destinations. Mel, you know about business destinations, don't you? 
He's traveled there quite often. And Jiangxi and its capital is Nanchang. And they're not typical Western, as I've said. But as business grows, there's more and more Europeans and Americans traveling there. But it is not really a common spot for Westerners to travel. So we flew into Guangzhou. We rested there for a few hours in the airport. And then we had our flight into Nanchang. Now, I'm a pretty confident person. Uh, I like to look people in the eye. I like to smile at them. I like to engage people. I don't really hide who I am. But I realized something. I, I, I like to present myself as a caring and likable person. But I realized in China, uh, I wasn't as comfortable. It was different. And so we're sitting in this lounge because uh, when we're blessed to fly business class, because of my father-in-law having flights, he used to fly back east almost weekly when he worked. Um, we had mileage. And so we flew in much appreciated comfort which now is a curse because now I know what I'm missing every other time I fly. <laughs> well, you have lounge access with the business class, and so you relax, you eat, you wait, it's comfortable, you can charge your phones and your iPads or whatever you might have, your computer, you have couches, snacks, food, drinks are all there, and it's, it's really nice. And uh, about an hour before our flight, we started getting antsy because we had probably about a six, seven hour layover there, and we said, Let, let's go to the gate. So we stand up, we grab our carry-ons, and we go to walk to the walk to the gate, we get to the door, and they're like, you, go sit down. We'll take you there when it's time. Oh, no, no, we want to go to the gate. You, sit down, we'll get you when it's time to go. Karen, I think they're telling us to wait. So we go back, and we sit down, and we wait. Then the time came, and they marched the three business class passengers down the terminal, escorting us. And I'm telling you, it felt like the eyes of every passenger was on us. We get there, and they're all in line waiting to embark on the plane. And here comes the three Americans, and they're staring at us, and we have to go in. And, and I was dying. And I think Karen was too. I did not like the attention. They were all looking at us like, oh, you're in business. I mean, that's how I felt. Who knows what they were thinking, but you know how you project your discomfort? Like, oh, they have to be thinking awful of us. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't, but that's how I felt, and the feeling was real. So I apologize if that is wrong, but that's how I felt. And so we entered the plane first, and then we had the blessing of each passenger walking past us as they found their seat. I spent a lot of time looking out the window. And then we're flying. In China, I'm thinking, you know, there's millions and millions of people there, but I'm flying over and I'm noticing how dark it is. Not a lot of light. They cut the electricity in the villages, so you don't really know there are people down there. I mean, it started to be a game to see if I could find a village as we were flying. And we began our descent. It hit me. And it hit me hard. What if our hotel van isn't there? What if the sign that says First Brook is not there? What if no one is waiting? Where will we go? Who would we call? And it was obvious, even down in Guangzhou, where there's a lot more Westerners, that English really is not a priority in another land. We were there, and we felt like aliens and strangers. We were uncomfortable. And today in our text, Paul reminds us, reminds us of what it was like when we were aliens and strangers in our life without Christ. But then he states who we are 
that we are no longer aliens and strangers. We are now citizens and saints together in Christ. And so that's where we'll be this morning in Ephesians chapter 2. And I would like to read, read our text. This is Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the divining wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundations of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And let's pray. <clears throat> Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for bringing us here this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it proclaims and teaches us. And so, Father, this morning, as we dive into it, Lord, I would just pray that you would move me out of the way, Father, that your words, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would be gracious to me and to us and allow your word to speak this morning. Father, we thank you for what it says. Lord, bless our time in the teaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. So when you look at this text, you notice something right off, off the bat. And... Uh, you know, I know I started off with a question. I have another one I want you to think about. Any of you ever been involved in a strong rivalry? Maybe you weren't involved, but we know of them. We live in a world full of rivals, don't we? Cal versus Stanford. Republican and Democrat. Giants versus Dodgers. You know I had to say that. Coke versus Pepsi. You know, some rivalries are friendly. Other rivalries can be cultural, racial, and they can turn violent and hostile. And Paul reminds the church in a letter that was written mostly to Gentiles of a deep and a complex, hostile rivalry between Jews and Gentiles. You see, this was a religious and a cultural division. Gentiles did not know God. The God of Israel, Jehovah, Yahweh, the Jewish people had rituals and feasts and ceremonies and celebrations that set them apart from the other nations. The Jews were set apart in race. They were the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. On the other side, the Greeks considered everybody who wasn't a Greek to be what? A barbarian. 
All outsiders are barbarians. And then Paul wants to proclaim this truth, though, in the midst of this rivalry, in the midst of hostility, in the midst of division, he says this, in Christ Jesus, through the cross, we have reconciliation with God and we have reconciliation with others. Verses 13 and 14, but now you and Christ, who were once were far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, Jew and Gentile, all nations, made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. We'll talk a little bit more on that later today. But for our note takers, here's where we're headed. Here's our outline for the day. Our first point, we will see that our passage tells us this, who we were. The second point we will see in our passage is this, what Christ has done. And then our third part, and our third point, is who we are now in Christ. Pretty simple. And I just want to remind you, Ephesians is set up in a very similar way. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, who we are in Christ, what God has done. And when we get there, chapters 4 through 6, we'll talk about how we live now that we're in Christ. I just want to just get that indwelled in your mind have it there, be there fresh because it is so rich what God has done. But yet if we don't know that, if we don't realize and embrace the gospel, the power of grace, the power of God that moves us and empowers us to holiness, when we get to chapter four and six, if we're trying to do it by ourselves, when it says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, and it goes on, if we don't have the gospel propelling that, we will not make it because the Christian life is not a life you can do on your own. The Christian life is in Christ. And so we need him to be the power in our lives. Now, in our passage, verse 11, therefore remember. Now, when you see a therefore, what are you supposed to do? Ask what it's there for. So what do you think it's there for? For. What's it pointing back to? It's pointing back to where we just were, the gospel. You were dead. You were disobedient. You were a child of wrath. But God, rich in mercy, loved us when you were dead in your sins, and he made us alive, and by his grace alone we are saved. And so, because you are saved, because of all God has done, because you are his work of grace, therefore, remember Something more is what Paul is saying. And here's what he asks us to remember, who we were. You see, verses 11 through 12 follow the same pattern that we saw in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 2. And Paul again shows the truth of what a Christless life is. Life without Christ is dark. Life without Christ is hopeless. I mean, think about today. What if I said, what if... I can't even say that, but what if, imagine your life without Christ. A child of God, that's horror. That's hellish to be without Christ. Christ is our life, and if we didn't have Christ in the believer, we go, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. It's a song that we sing. And 
Paul here is saying, life without Christ is dark and it's hopeless. And let's read as Paul says who we once were. Look at 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. We were separated and we were alienated from God. And so it says, Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the Jews. And they were called the circumcision. Now that set them apart. God had told them, to set themselves apart, but it was an outward sign of what God was doing inwardly. And Paul makes a point here. It's not the outside that matters. It is the heart. See, the Jewish people had a physical sign of the covenant, but Paul states clearly that that was a work of human hands. And Paul will soon now in our text show that through Christ, physical differences do not matter. It's about a new heart. But Paul asks us to remember the pre-Christ past of the Gentiles. They were Christless, they were without the Messiah, and they were separated from Christ. We see that in 12. Remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. You see to the Israelites, Paul says in Romans chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, here's what he says about the Jewish people. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. And we're thankful that God set apart a people for the Messiah. That is what we're going to be celebrating this month. We are so thankful that God set his people apart. But for Gentiles at that time, it was not a good situation. Now you can get into it, and the Jews probably should have done a better job of being a light and reaching out, but we are sinful people, correct? That didn't happen as it should. But God set apart Israel for our blessing. And while it is true that some Jews were and still are, Separated from Christ. They were told in their scriptures of Christ the Messiah. They had a hope. We just sang, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Now we sing the, I like to add on the end. Because God is here with us. But can you imagine a time when you were waiting for salvation to come? Waiting for the Messiah. O come and ransom us. They knew a Savior needed to come. But Gentiles were foreign to these teachings. The Gentiles were separate and separated from Christ and separated from God. So you see why Paul said, therefore, pointing back to our salvation in Christ, it's a horror to be separated from Christ. The Gentiles were foreigners or aliens, excluded from the citizenship of Israel, strangers to God's promises and covenants. But the Israelites, they were God's covenant people, a promised people of God. We know the promises God promised, right? To the people of Israel and to Abraham. What did he say to them in Genesis 15, 7 through 21? If you want to jot that down and look at it later, he promised the land 
to Abraham and to his offspring. In Genesis 17, 1 through 21, you have the covenant of circumcision, but God says that I will set them apart to be a great and blessed nation. And it's an everlasting covenant. And the promise is going to pass on to Isaac. And again, the land of Canaan is promised to the people. In Genesis 26, 2 through 5, God reaffirms the covenant to Isaac. And God establishes the oath that he swore to Abraham to become a great nation. From his offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Well, that's Christ. And are we blessed today? I am thankful for God's plan. You see, Israel as a nation was under God. They were God's people. They were his nation, his chosen. And to be outside of Israel, you were a foreigner. Look at verses 19 of chapter 2. We'll be there a little bit more. But so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. But before that, they were without hope. And they were godless. You ever felt hopeless? Don't, don't, I would recommend not like nodding your head per se. <laughs> Just think about that though. I know I've felt times where hope seemed a long, long ways away. Sometimes we struggle in dark times, don't we? And it's hard. Even as your pastor, I will tell you, sometimes it is so hard to keep your eyes on Jesus because the darkness just feels overwhelming sometimes and sometimes hope seems so fleeting. Now the scriptures say there's always hope in Christ and so we run to those. But there are times it is difficult and hopelessness is one of the worst situations to be in. And then can you imagine being godless? Now, I know it's somewhat popular today to be atheist. We just read why that is the case. They're dead in their sins. And so they just have to, they just have to sit there and go, oh, there is no God. Because if there is a God, they're accountable. And people don't like accountability, do they? But I, for me, you know, some people will say, well, you know, Christians are just weak. They need a God. They need a crutch. Amen. I do, and I am thankful for my Savior because without him, I was dead and could do nothing. So, yep, weak, but in Christ, I'm strong. So the Gentiles did not have the hope of a Messiah. They did not have the hope that was given in the word of God that a Savior was coming, that rescue was coming. No hope. They were on their own. And so what did they do? They turned to themselves into idols. Turn to Romans 1. Let's look at the person who wants to ignore God. The one without hope. Look at verses 18 through 23. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what, can be, well, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, 
namely his, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. This is the life apart from Christ. Without Christ, we will fashion idols. We will make up false gods. And we will suppress the truth that we see. So it really is a hopeless situation. If you do not know God, you do not have hope. And so we must remember this, Paul is saying. Remember this fact that we too were at one time separated from Christ and his people. And seeing all that God has done now moves us to praise and thanksgiving. We should live in tremendous gratitude for all God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And so what is that he has done? That's our second point. What has Christ done? What has Christ done? He's brought peace and reconciliation. <clears throat> Back in Ephesians, look at verse 4. Or, yeah, just like in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 4, we have, but God, right? Being rich in mercy. We have another but statement here in, in, our, uh, in our text in verse 13. But now... See, we have this contrast. Now, it's different. But, former alien, former stranger, now. Well, what has Christ done? We see a turnaround and we see a great change. But now, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made both made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Christ brings peace and reconciliation to all men, all nations. And this was done on the cross. It's a Christmas passage, isn't it? Peace on earth. Peace to men? Isn't that what the angels proclaimed? Glad tidings of great joy? A savior is born? Reconciliation. Peace. See, Jesus did not stay a little baby. He grew. He lived a perfect life. He came to die. And he came to die for you and me. Why? Because he knew without him doing that, there would be no peace. He brought peace. You know, the world today cries for peace. It longs for peace. But they don't realize that true peace is found in Jesus Christ alone. And that true peace is, per peace is purchased by the blood of Jesus. He died that we would have peace with God and peace with other men. Name a tribe, a tongue, or a nation 
that is outside of the gospel of peace. Can't do it. It's open to all. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. I can't wait for heaven. Every tribe, tongue, and nation. And I want to ask a question. In our, in our nation, you cannot deny that we have sin in our past and probably even present of racism. Racism is demonic. This scripture proves it. it has no place in the Christian life. Racial hostility should not be named among Christ's people because Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility. You see, left alone without Christ, with those who are dead in their sins, what do we do? We are prideful people, aren't we? We think we're good. We think we're better. And you can see how hostility comes. Oh, you guys celebrate that holiday? <laughs> Losers. That's what we would say. But in Christ, we celebrate Christ and the peace that he brought on the cross. He brought reconciliation. Christ broke down the dividing wall of hostility. And the scriptures say it was done through the cross. The cross reconciles us to God and it reconciles us to one another. Oh, I wish each one of you could have an opportunity to worship our Savior with brothers and sisters who speak a different language. You talk about the discomfort that we felt in China when we landed and hoping that someone would be there to, to really rescue us and take us to the hotel so we can get some rest. I mean, we were really nervous. You want to know what the opposite is? Walking into a room of believers even though you don't speak their language. I can't describe it. I can't give words to it. It is Holy Spirit power that you have this instant brother and sister fellowship, even though the only thing you're communicating is a smile, and that smile says, I love Jesus, and Jesus saved me. And it's awesome. We worship with brothers. I wish you could worship with those who might have less than us materially, when they're singing in a language you don't know. I do know that Kelsey and my wife and others who were on, on, a, on a missions trip have been forever impacted by a time that they were singing How Great Is Our God with brothers and sisters in China. A large group singing in Mandarin and a few small voices in English. Yet perfect harmony because of the blood of Jesus. Last week we sang, uh, He Has Made Me Glad. Every time I sing that song, I'm transported back to my memories of being in the Philippines. We were singing this song in a small church in the city of Tondog. Exhaust fumes were pouring in from the street. I was coughing. You guys know I'm like real wuss when it comes to allergy type stuff. I mean, I'm just like barely breathing. You have motorcycles going, people running around on a Sunday afternoon. But here we are singing of our God who is our strength, who is our shield, a strong tower, our deliverer, our very help in time of need. And this big, overweight, comfortable American was sitting there with brothers and sisters who were living in poverty, but we were both singing and praising and saying, our God is the same God. He is our strong tower. He is our deliverer. He is our strength and our shield. And every time I sing that, I just 
You know how that works, don't you? My mind just goes, oh, I remember singing that in the Philippines. Different cultures, different traditions. And yet when brothers and sisters join together, there is a unity in Christ that is done through the power of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit. Christians must not ever look upon one another with the labels the world gives. When I look at scripture, I see this. God so loved the world. And in heaven we will worship with every tribe, tongue, and nation. I see labels like this. Redeemed and unredeemed. Saved or unsaved. Sinner or, by the grace of God, a saint. There is no distinction any longer. And there are no exclusions to the gospel. Do not live like there is. You damage the testimony of the cross with our prejudices and our presuppositions and pre-ideas of who people are based on their culture. Christ breaks them down. Amen? In verse 14, it says this, He made both Jew and Gentile one. Jesus broke down the dividing wall by the cross. You know the temple had a wall? Do you know that? What's left of the temple? Right now they call it the Wailing Wall, right? Just a little bit. But in AD 70, that temple was torn down. It was taken over and boom, it was leveled. But they had a wall. Do you know what the wall was for? It was to keep Gentiles out. Christ died on the cross he got rid of the wall. So in Christ, verse 16, it says, we've been reconciled, both Jew and Gentile, to God in one body through the cross, killing hostility. You see, hostility also has no place in the body of Christ. Forgiveness and grace must reign in his people. We must be people who forgive. We'll see this in Ephesians 4, 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving, the best medicine for disunity and hostility between believers is running to the cross. Run to the cross. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Jesus came and proclaimed peace to those who were far off and those who were near. Now when it speaks of Christ proclaiming peace, people wonder when did this proclamation take place? When was it made? And commentators will differ, differ on it. Was it during his ministry before he died on the cross? Did he proclaim peace? Or was it when he rose again? Remember, he appeared to the disciples who were locked in a room, and all of a sudden it says he was among them. Boom. And he, what did he say? Peace I give to you. It says that in John 20, 19. Peace be with you. Here's what I think. Here's what I know. The gospel of peace was proclaimed before the cross. It was proclaimed on the cross to the thief. And it was proclaimed after Christ arose from the dead. And it's our message. The gospel of peace is our message. It's what we proclaim. Ephesians 6.15. And so as we armor up for battle, this is my paraphrase. Put on your shoes. Lace them up having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. Peace. 
No more war. No more war with God. You see your friends and your family who don't know Christ. You know they are at war with God. Don't tell me about God. You see the blood pressure rise in the, over, over Thanksgiving dinner. Christmas time. Can we pray? Can we thank? No. They're at war. They're at war with God. But we give them the gospel of peace. I love Isaiah 52. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who announces and proclaims peace, who brings good news. Verse 18, we see in Christ, all men have access in one spirit to the Father. We all have access to God. So we need to take advantage of this. Isn't that amazing? We have access to God. How do we have access to God as believers? Prayer. Times in God's word. This is very, the scriptures are God-breathed. They are the very words of God. What the scripture says, God says. When we pray with him, we commune and talk with God. We have access. I don't know about you. You ever be without someone you love and care for a while? Can't wait to talk with them, right? Are you communing with God? Take advantage that we have access to God through Christ. It's amazing. Come to God with boldness, as it says in Ephesians 3, verse 12. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. You know what's awesome about that? When you pray, have confidence that he is listening, hearing, and he will work. Have confidence in God. So Jesus is our peace. This is the church. We're one body. We're one body in Christ. We are God's people. God's church is made up of Jews, Arabs, Europeans, Asians, Africans, Spanish, Native Americans from the north and the south. I don't, maybe I, I'm sure I left people out. I didn't mean to. God so loved the world that he reconciled his people to Christ and to each other through Jesus Christ. Awesome. Now this passage is rich and we hardly, hardly scratched the surface. Um, just really understand this. This was done through the cross. Reconciliation and peace with God comes through Christ. It is he who we worship. Verse 13, we were brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 14, broken down in his flesh, it says. That's Jesus' death. Verse 16, reconciled through the cross. You know, sometimes I think when we sing about the blood, it's a little... I don't know, you know? Your Christians are singing about blood. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Any of you ever get a bloody nose and it gets on your new shirt? That's a stain. Yet the scriptures are saying blood washes me clean? Yes. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So Jesus came and shed his blood for us. Peace comes to us through the violence 
of the cross. The song that we sing, it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. It was for me Jesus died. It was for you Jesus died. Well, we'll pick up next, next Sunday on point three. It's just too good to rush through. But allow this just this week. Think about who you were when you had hostility with God. And think about the peace we now have in Christ. And be thankful for it. May it fuel, fuel your worship this week. Let it be the fuel in your time in God's word, in your small groups, in your community groups. Realize the blessings you have in Christ. And then come back next Sunday. And we'll continue on in our passage. Let's pray. Well, Father, we have another contrast today, like we've been seeing. We were dead in our sins, but you made us alive. And today we saw that we were separated from you. We were aliens and strangers and hostile. And we see that through Jesus Christ and the cross, we now have reconciliation with you. We have peace with God. Father, may that amaze us. Father, as we move into this time of Advent, as we prepare for Christmas, there are so many things that distract us, that turn our eyes away from really what we should be celebrating, and that is that we have peace with God through Christ. And so, Father, may these words, may your scriptures just resound within our hearts this week and in the coming weeks that we have. And every day till we see you, Father, may we be thankful that we have peace with you through Christ. We are so thankful. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.